Is this my favorite documentary that we've covered in like years? I thought you were going to go either way on this. I'm so glad you're on my side of the coin here. I was on the edge of my seat, girl. I really, I love Misha the Wolves. Look, you know what I'm going to say, right? What? Leave the wolves out of it. They didn't do anything to you. Jillian Bezavali. Hi, Patrick Hines. Oh, my goodness, you guys. If you want more Jillian and me, please join us over on the Patreon. It's so much fun. The content is so good. Over 300 full ad-free bonus episodes to download a bitch. Right now, we're finishing up Lula Rich, which everybody wanted. It is insane. The fart-smelling leggings, the MLM of it all. The MLM, the cults, the racism. It's just, (laughs) yeah. yeah. Then we did that Gacy thing on Peacock. We've done The Vow. We did uh, The Jinx, Making a Murderer. Yeah. Yeah, Lorena the Menendez murders. I still have a crush on Eric, I think, maybe. Yeah, well, they served their time. I'm, I'm, <laughs> you know how I stand with the Menendez brothers. You guys, Lacey Peterson, Don't F with Cats, the Tiger King. We're not going to do Tiger King 2, right? We're not doing it. No, my mental health suffered enough with the first one. <laughs> okay. I love you guys, but enough rape and murder is okay. I'm just going to distance myself from the Tiger King. And they don't deserve our attention. They just don't no. deserve it. Two more requests, you guys. Join our Facebook group. Over 45,000 people in there right now. Find your true crime best friends. Come hang out. It's managed by Sasha. She's our full-time Facebook person so you know it never gets crazy. It's very supportive and lovely and nice. Yeah, Sasha's great. And they've been doing watch parties too for some of the docs that we're covering. So they are on top of it. Last thing, you guys, follow us on the Instagram, True Crime Obsessed Podcast. It's where it's all at. We go live in there sometimes. It's really fun. I try to make fun, interesting stories. Our posts are really good. Stay on top of the TCO, you guys. You know, there's a lot. There's a lot of brewing. Is that that a thing? Can I say that? That's not usually something I've said. I don't know if I've ever said it. So... All right, girl, what are we talking about today? Tell the people. We are talking about Misha and the wolves. You guys, this was a real journey. It's a real journey, don't you think? I agree. I was on the edge of my seat. I was transfixed. I was I was flabbergasted. (laughs) There are Nazis, there are wolves. The wolves are innocent. Don't they didn't do anything wrong. There's just a lot happening here. Misha is a Holocaust survivor. She's here to tell her astonishing story. You could have heard a pin drop. When she was only seven years old, she walked alone through Nazi-occupied countries across thousands of miles in search of her deported parents. This story had an amazing twist. I turn around and I see this magnificent animal. I was thinking this would make a fascinating book. My agent said Disney wants this. Oprah wants this. That was the jackpot. We are heading into a monster bestseller here. She's so in my life a gold mine. It's an untenable position to be in. A cruel exploiter of an innocent Holocaust survivor. All of a sudden, flash, this doesn't add up. I was looking at names and places and dates. She didn't exist. I wanted to know who is this person that has ruined my life. We open with like a radio talk show host who hosts a radio show in Boston called Exceptional Women, to which I said, how do I subscribe to that, please? Yeah, Candy O'Terry. Candy. These ladies named Candy. It's a little bit like, look, I love people that have the name that they want or whatever, but it just feels a little bit objectifying of women is all. To name them Candy? Yeah. I don't know. Okay. I'll never be confronted with that. I'm never going to name 
child. I love how you say I want people to have the name they want when all of us are born with a name and then we can change it later if we so choose. I'm telling you, there's no way Maggie Freeling, that's her real name. I cannot wait to find out what her birth name was. It's too good. Mags. I can still remember laying in my bed, my little nightlight on, crying over this. I was so overwhelmed by this story. Misha DeFonseca checked every single box for the type of woman that we looked for to interview on Exceptional Women. Her story originated in Belgium, but she was living in Millis, Massachusetts, 20 miles away from the radio station. We're in Millis, Massachusetts. Do you know where this is? I really don't, but oh my God, the Boston accents abound in this thing. Back in the late 80s, we had been living in Millis for 37 years. Pretty much everybody knew everybody, and we had new neighbors. There were a couple from Belgium, Maurice and Misha. There's a saying in Millis, small town, big family. In the small knit community, and we became friends. So Pat Cunningham is a Millis resident and everybody knew everybody. And she goes, yeah, you know, I was here for like 38 years. And one day I got new neighbors. And I'm like, Pat Cunningham originally from Bensonhurst? Like what's going on here from Brooklyn? I got the new neighbors, uh, Maurice and Misha, couple from Belgium. All right, Pat, let's see you, girl. I love Pat. She's very authentically from the South Shore, the North Shore, whatever. We're going to get schooled on that. I love that she describes Misha as like the friendly old cat lady. She goes, there were many, many cats, says Pat. (laughs) But, you know, there's an old, there's a saying in Millis, uh, small town, big family. We get it. We get it. Who lit up a room? Let me know. Was it the wolves? Probably. Yeah, everyone loved Misha. And Misha is here, you guys. Misha's here. she's telling us about the first time she told her story. She was at a synagogue one night as an adult with her husband, and she was asked to, like, get up and speak and sort of, like, share her story of being a Holocaust survivor. Yeah, and at first she didn't want to do it, but her husband convinced her to do it, and she said he told me it would free me. And so this is when she publicly tells her story for the first time, and her story that she tells is told to us by many people who were there. When she was only seven years old, she walked alone for years through Nazi-occupied countries across thousands of miles in search of her deported parents. Misha is now a grown-up Jewish woman living in the Boston area. She's a Holocaust survivor. And she's here to tell her astonishing story of courage and survival. Basically, when Misha was seven, she lived in Brussels and her parents were arrested by the Nazis. She was told they had been deported and she was placed in the care of a Catholic family called the DeWalls. And it was a safe place for her, but they weren't very nice. They were like a foster family that didn't really want her, to which I was like, then why the fuck did you take her DeWalls? I know. And they gave her a new name. Her new name is Monique DeWall. Right. And she's like, well, this deception saved me. Yes. Because I felt so alienated. And Misha's like, you know, these people, they didn't love me. They hated me. They called me worthless, except for the grandfather who was really, really, really nice to her. He told me my parents were in Germany. He showed me with a compass that it was in the East. So Germany didn't seem that far. So the grandfather tells her, 
look, your parents are in Germany. And he shows her on a map with a compass. Oh, it's in the east. And seven-year-old Misha's like, it's not that far. That can't be that far. She decides, seven-year-old Misha decides, I'm just going to walk to Germany to find my parents. Now, I want to point something out here. Yes. Daisy, my daughter, is also seven years old. Daisy can't tie her own fucking shoes. Yeah. She's not walking from Brussels to Germany. And I understand that Misha's circumstances were different. Like, obviously, it was a heightened tensioning time. Yeah. But I'm like, show me a seven-year-old that's walking into the woods with a compass and walking from Brussels to Germany. I spend a lot of time with a lot of seven-year-olds. <laughs> Nary a seven-year-old have I met who can turn on an iPad. Yeah. I and, and Misha today is like, I don't know what the big fuss is all about. I just needed the basics. I needed food, water, a knife for protection. It's no big deal, you wimps. I got this. And that's the other thing, like, for protection. And I understand the circumstances were different, but I'm like, Daisy is not thinking about protection. She's not like, oh, and I need a kitchen knife to fend off the robbers in the middle of the forest. This right. is just not how seven-year-olds think, I don't think. Well, you're. I think you're onto something here. So the first night... Misha sleeps under a bridge and she's like, looking back, I realize yep. now it was a little naive. It was a little naive. But the thing is, she wants to find her parents. So she, she that's where her motivation comes to finish the journey. She's like, but yes, was it naive? Yes. But there was nothing for me in Belgium. Honey, you're seven. You know what's, you know what's for you in Belgium? Bathrooms? Yeah. Clothing? Like the things that like, what are you talking about? But also, I feel like we're not hitting it home. She's hiding from the goddamn Nazis. She's in the woods. She's traveling like off the beaten path, like off yes. the roads because she's hiding from the Nazis. Well, here's the thing. My whole thing is like, all we know right now is Misha is here. So like, if this isn't real, she's still sitting down to tell her story. So. Right, of course. I mean, she's here. I completely gave into the wildlife. I saw this wonderful world with animals. In peace, living normally, eating just what they need, not killing more than they need. The pants was so just right. She says that giving in to the wildlife is what saved her. Look, I love the Jungle Book too, but like to the animals, you're just food. We've all seen Grizzly Man. You know, know. what I mean? Like, like Baloo is really nice and cute in the movie, but Baloo's a bear. And we all <laughs> yeah. know, say it with me, bears are going to bear. <laughs> Like, you might think that animals are cute, but they think you're dinner. That's all. You know what oh, I mean? Like, and they always will. They just, they yes, always, they always will. will. Much to my dismay, they always, <laughs> always will. So one of these people who heard her in the synagogue is named Jane Daniel. And Jane Daniel immediately... Hang on a second. Can we get some entrance music for Jane? Oh. Give me something that, that implies complicated. <laughs> It was the early 90s. I had a small publishing company. When I say small, I mean tiny. And I was looking around for a new project. I was the first one that came along and said, could we make this even more public? Can we take this to another level? I could probably make something big out of this. There's a market for this story. 
I'm sure Jane had other thoughts about this is horrifying and also mesmerizing and also inspiring. But Jane's first thought to us is, holy shit, cha-ching, this would make a great book. Look, if I met Misha today, I'd be like, oh, my God, your story is so sad. Podcast, podcast. Your story is awful. Can we make a podcast limited series? Because because (laughs) Jane's not just saying this out of nowhere. But the story is already amazing. Guess what? Here comes a twist. I remember I had just been called by a farmer who saw me stealing food from his farm. I ran away full of fear and he ran after me. And suddenly I had the impression that somebody was watching me. I turn around and and I see this magnificent animal. The wolf seemed alone and I, and I needed a companion. At one point, she stole something from a farmer and was running deep, like deeper and deeper into the woods because he was following her. Right. All of a sudden, she's being followed by something else. Turns around and it's a wolf. The wolf immediately becomes her mother. <laughs> right. So it's a gorgeous gray she-wolf. Not yeah. jealous at all. Also, can the farmer just let the seven-year-old run away, have some fucking bread? <laughs> like, I feel like when you're running away from the Nazis, you're just nice to everybody. Like, totally. you just give the seven-year-old runaway some shelter. Yeah. No? Yeah. Right. So <laughs> Misha tries to share the stolen bread with the wolf, but the wolf didn't take the food. And then it took a while, but Misha's like, eventually, we just traveled together. Like you said, the wolf became her right. mother. And then uh, Misha's like, one day I woke up and I'm traveling with a pack of wolves. Everyone who hears this is like, holy shit. And then we meet Joni, the wolf expert. And Joni, the wolf expert, her first line is, Wow, this is quite a story. I said, Joni, dry as a martini, says, wow, this is quite a story. I love it. But she is kind of like, you'd think she'd be like, oh my God. I think Joni's like, no, I've only worked my whole life with wolves. Did I ever feel like one was my mother? No, I didn't. Thanks for bringing it up again. Thanks. Just salt right in that wound. I really like Joni. I'm glad that she's here. And she and Misha meet and they become like best friends. And she describes Misha as like part animal. Misha was very different from most people I'd ever met. My first impression was she probably should have been an animal or her spirit is an animal. She spoke about being accepted by the pack but being treated as a low-ranking member and that she had to exhibit submissive low-ranking behavior in order to, uh, to, to be with them. Like, we hear more things that Misha said happened with uh, Misha and the wolves. And Misha's like, yeah, all right. I was with the wolves, but I was super low level. Like, I was no alpha. And I knew that. And I'm like, yeah, the seven-year-old girl's not the alpha. Gotcha. She describes this pack of wolves like they're the mob. I know. Well, I was also thinking, whichever one of the wolves is the equivalent of the Grinch, the bear, from Grizzly Man. Yeah. Who was like, when are we going to fucking eat this bitch? Like, she's the worst wolf I've ever seen. When do we eat her? Yeah, that's like one of the capos. That's mob talk now. But she's like, you know, the thing is, speaking of the alpha, the alpha would eat first and then everybody else. And the wolves would leave her scraps. And Misha's thrilled because she's like, the leftovers were more than enough for me. Again, I was seven. That doesn't make any sense. You can't eat raw fucking rat meat or whatever the hell the wolf was devouring. Or like deer meat. I was thinking, wait a second. Our stomachs can't handle like raw animal carcasses. No. So it makes you extremely, extremely sick. Like it could have killed her out there in the woods. So I don't... (laughs) I hope she cooked it because at this point she's seven going on 40. She could do a lot of shit. (laughs) 
I love the idea that she's like washing it down with whiskey at right. seven. That's why the farmer was chasing her. She stole the guy's whiskey. Chain smoking cigarettes. <laughs> totally. You guys were making fun of it because none of this happened. It's okay. Don't be mad. I at mean, us. please, <laughs> please, for not for a second did I buy this. Anyway. <laughs> So we're back to Misha's story and she walked and she walked and she walked day after day. Days turn into months and she's with the wolves and she's looking for her parents. And this is where Jane is like, it had mythic qualities to it. And it could take my publishing company, Mount Ivy Press, from a little local happening to a worldwide happening. So I asked Misha if she would be interested in publishing her stories. I don't think she was terribly impressed with me. And... There was no reason she should be. The kind of book that I had published before was a legal financial book. Not exactly her kind of thing. I gotta say, I'm with Jane on this. It's like, look, Misha, you get to get your story out there. You're gonna make money. I'm gonna make money. We're gonna tell this amazing, epic story. I love Jane. I really... (laughs) Things change in the end, but I really loved Jane most of the way through this thing. Right, like, it it makes sense. It's kind of like, we all kind of win here, right? And if you're comfortable telling your story. And so Jane pitches this to Misha. And Misha's not into it. She's like, I don't trust anybody from my experience. I only trust wolves. Now, if a wolf was pitching me a book deal, maybe I'd be a little more interested. And Jane had only published one book and it was about legal finance. So Misha's like, yeah, I don't know if you can really do like the kid beats the Nazis with the pack of wolves story. Like I don't, you don't have any experience with that. Right. Yeah. No, I understand those concerns because the thing is like Jane says, and Misha tells us like she didn't want to do it, but her, like her community is pushing her to do it. And you know, I think that like, and I'm guessing here, but I think that like Misha is of the age of like the last of the people who survived the Holocaust. And so I think uh, there was probably a big push from her community to be like, tell your story. Like, these stories are so important. Your story is so epic. Like, it should be told and written down. And, like, I think that's the pressure that Misha's feeling. And she does it. She finally does it. And she says it was a painful process, but it was also really cathartic. And word gets around and there is worldwide interest. I said, let's see if we can get Oprah to do this. Okay, this is one of my all-time favorite moments I'm having on television. At that time, Oprah had her book club. If you were one of Oprah's books, you had a guaranteed sales of a million books. It was like, that that was the jackpot. Then we'll meet back here in a month, and we'll talk about it. And they said, we're interested. I love it! So that's a big, big, big deal. And we were beginning to say, we are heading into a monster bestseller here. Oprah wants in. <laughs> Oprah's book club. So the book is published in April 1997. And Jane is like, let's see if we can get this on Oprah because Oprah did the book club. Do you remember the Oprah's book club? I remember the scandal surrounding the book club. <laughs> I mean, the whole James Fry. Why did you have to lie about that? <laughs> I was obsessed with the book club. And Oprah is very interested. Oh, well, of course she is. She's no fool. So right. she's like, okay, let's send a camera crew out to Joni at the Wolf Sanctuary so we we can film Misha with the wolves. This story is bananas. Oprah sends a fucking crew to go to Joni's house to film Misha going in to commune with the wolves. No one will go in with her. Oprah's nowhere to be seen. The fucking camera guy doesn't go in. The boom mic guy stays on the outside. Misha basically goes in and opens her arms and is like, mama's home, boys. That's exactly right. And remember, so just to be clear, Joni and Jane tell us this story. So Misha squatted down and she's feeding this one wolf cheese and the wolf is very friendly. Everything's going fine. And then the wolf decides to put his paws on her shoulders. Petro jumped up on her shoulders and he was much taller than she. 
And then all of a sudden, very quickly, the wolf opened his mouth and put her whole head in his mouth very gently. Everyone stands back, assuming this is it. Chomp, Misha's about to be eaten by the wolf. (laughs) But Petro, like, lets her go. Like, it was just like this affectionate thing that he did. And then we learn. And at that point, Misha rears back, lets out a big howl. I get goosebumps telling this story. And from the back, way back in the back of the pen, we hear an O coming back. When she howled, they immediately howled back. To Jane, this is like confirmation of the story. This is all real. Look, she can fucking speak the language. She speaks fluent wolf, girl. Right. Oh, so jealous. But then, <laughs> so Oprah gets wind of it. They teleport to her because she's been able to do that shit for years because she's Oprah. And Oprah's like, I need her. shit. She knows how. Totally. Oprah's like, I need her on my show tomorrow. Like now, mm-hmm. not tomorrow, now. So the next step, we got to go to Chicago and film with Oprah. All of a sudden, Misha doesn't want to do this. This doesn't make any sense. Like all of a sudden, Misha's not returning any of Jane's calls. She's getting, like, very difficult. She says she can't go because she can't find anyone to feed her animals. And Jane is losing her ever-loving fucking mind. So Jane's like, throw some money at the problem and let's hit the road. Like, get a pet sitter. (laughs) But the other thing is, Misha, even though this is, like, a worldwide phenomenon and the translation rights and all this stuff and it's, like, selling everywhere, Misha claims that she and her husband don't have any money. And we don't get a ton of clarity on this, though everyone thinks we do. We really don't get a lot of clarity on this. Because Jane's whole point is that if you go on Oprah, you won't have money problems anymore. And she shouldn't have money problems anyway because the book is being translated into a million languages. Exactly. Now, I will say, I've written books and I can tell you that like money comes in once or twice a year. Like The publisher collects the royalties and then they pay you out quarterly or whatever. So if she doesn't have money today, it might be like it's coming in a couple months, but you don't get a check every week. You know what oh, I mean? That makes sense. So Misha's crying poor all over town. She's asking the rabbis for money. Private citizens are lending her tens of thousands of dollars to pay off her house. And Jane keeps saying like, okay, fine, like, borrow people's money, but you'll be able to pay them back because Oprah wants you on the show. Like, think ahead a little bit here. And why wouldn't you want to go on Oprah? Like, I don't, it doesn't, something is missing from the story here. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Or do we? So, Misha never, stop YouTubing it. You won't find the footage because Misha never went on Oprah. She never went. She bailed. A year after the book came out, there's a knock on the door and I'm handed a big package. It's Misha filing a lawsuit against me. It's like, oh my God. And at that point, everything stopped. No other country wanted to do business with us. We had a lawsuit attached to this project. Suddenly, Misha is suing Jane for royalties. And Jane tells us everything stops. Disney doesn't want it anymore. There's no more international publishing rights. Nobody wants to have anything to do with this book because now there's a lawsuit attached to it. And we meet Misha's lawyer, Ramona. And Ramona says... She loves telling this fucking story. I would listen to her tell it 15 times. (laughs) Ramona goes... It was clear to me that several things had um, been done that were improper, illegal, fraudulent. Misha was asking for the return of the copyright to her name and for all of the royalties that she was due for book sales. 
So August 2001, the thing goes to trial. And like, Jane, sweetheart, if you had thought about this ahead of time, how's this going to look? You're going to put the Holocaust survivor on the stand and make her like fucking defend her story, which is what happens. And so like, basically, Jane is like, I was set up to look like the big bad publisher who was just here to exploit the Holocaust survivor. I was never going to win this thing. What Misha is suing for is like back royalties. And Jane is like, we had royalty statements and canceled checks to show that she had been paid. But here's the thing. So the jury sides with Misha on all counts, obviously. She's like a seven-year-old who ran with the wolves and escaped the Nazis. Like, give her whatever she wants. (laughs) So like, forget the receipts, Jane. Who cares? Misha has the wolves and that's it. But they award Misha... $22.5 million. And to this day, Jane can't believe it. Joni, the wolf expert, can't believe it. Like, it's it's such a gigantic number. Yeah, and it's also just like, who thinks that Jane's got 22 fucking million dollars? It's such a ridiculous number. Like, if people should just ask for the money that they think they're actually going to get and forget like what the big verdict money. Totally. You're not going to get 22 mil. No, make it for 15,000, Misha. (laughs) Like, maybe you'll get that. You know what I mean? Like, it's just so silly. After the trial, I ended up going into therapy and being diagnosed with PTSD. I had horrible insomnia. My publishing company was gone. The copyright was taken away from me. I mean, I was destroyed at that point. I ended up doing a post-mortem on what had happened, looking at it piece by piece by piece. I was in my lawyer's office going through old records and documents. I had no idea what I was gonna find. She does a very smart thing. This is actually like a Jillian Pensavalli move, I feel like. Okay. Where she's like, you know what? I'm going to lay everything out on the floor, do a complete post-mortem, and see, like, where everything went wrong. She's in a deep depression, and she's like, how did I become, like, the ruthless bitch who exploited a Holocaust right. survivor? <laughs> like, where did I go wrong in that where suddenly I exploited this woman? Like, what what happened right. here? But in this audit, she stumbles upon a file handwritten by Misha. I open a file, and it's Misha's bank account, and it's in Misha's writing, and it's her signature card. And on there, it says, date and place of birth, filled in in Misha's hand, and mother's maiden name. All of a sudden, I suddenly get flash. She knows who she is. And it's like record scratch because Misha's whole story is that she didn't know or remember any of this. She's like, I was the seven-year-old that was taken in by this Catholic family and I ran away to find my parents and I don't remember their names. I don't remember their like family names. She remembers their first names. I don't know my birthday. I don't know my place of birth. Suddenly like we're stumbling upon this file where Misha knows all of this and wrote it down. And I'm like, Jane, you expect me to believe you've never seen this document before? And Jane is saying like, look. I had been owned by courts and lawyers. My life had been turned upside down. I wanted my life back. If I can prove that she's not who she's been saying she is, I can overturn this judgment. If I can prove that it's not true, I can get this judgment reversed and get my life back. Because otherwise, I'm going to be working at IHOP for the rest of my life, paying off that $22 million. And everyone's going to be whispering behind my back, there's that ruthless bitch who exploited the Holocaust survivor. Which is worse than being penniless. So Jane's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. She doesn't even know exactly what she's looking for. But she's like, I guess I'll just start blogging about it. And she goes, this is the longest long shot in the world. But maybe someone will find the blog. And maybe she just she puts it out there and sees what comes back. The next day I get up, I turn on my computer and there's an email. And the email says, 
I think that I might be able to help find out what's the real story. I did a timeline of Misha from a variety of photographs. First from the book and then from other images on the internet. So I could get a sense of her life. I gotta tell you, this is where the whole thing turns so fucking interesting for me because it's like a treasure map to find the truth of like this woman's life because she wakes up literally the next morning and she's got an email from this woman, Sharon Sargent. They call her the genealogist. Wait, and- when they introduce these people, they have like yeah. the lawyer, the this. When yeah, the yeah, genealogist yeah. came on the screen, I gasped so loud I woke up Fiona. <laughs> I was like, they have a genealogist? We're gonna blow the roof off this fucking thing. I just know it. That's a right proper gay gasp. You I did. lost it. Fiona was like, what the what? <laughs> well, because that's the thing, you guys. Like, this genealogist is saying, like, I read through all your documents. I stayed up all night. I wish, I wish my brain worked like this. I, I wish I could, like, pour over documents and find inconsistencies and solve these fucking mysteries. My, I would be bored in five seconds and watching clips of Meghan McCain being awful or, like, the babushka lady or, like, interviews about Katherine Heigl getting fired and how awful she was but how she takes it all back now and she's better and she's kind. That's what Do happens. You, um, I start- are you speaking from experience? <laughs> Stuff? <laughs> Sometimes I, I start at Babushk and end up at Heigl, and I don't really know how I got there, but it was yeah. like in a wonderful evening. You I know thought what I mean? you just always start and end with the Meghan McCain being yelled at on The View. The problem is, like, they do, like, one or two of those every year. I've had to pivot to watching Meghan McCain on Watch What Happens Live with Andy Cohen and being awful there. Okay. And that gets a little boring. Okay. <laughs> So this woman, Sharon Sargent, is saying to Jane, like, I think I can help you figure out what really happened. And she's like, she starts by putting together a timeline of photographs. And it's photographs from Misha's book and also from like images that she can find on the internet. And then this is so fucking mind blowing. Yeah. She says her first clue in the book, there's a picture of Misha at the beginning of this adventure at age seven. And we see the photo, we see it. And Sharon is like, look at this photo. Like, this is not a photo of a seven year old. This is no. a toddler. It's a toddler. I have a seven-year-old. Daisy looks like a fucking seven-year-old. The picture of Misha at, quote, age seven looks like she's three. Yeah. That's when Sharon is like, all right, something is definitely wrong here. The next photograph I looked at was a picture who Misha said was her foster grandfather and grandmother. According to the narrative, he's a rustic farm man. I did a close-up of the hands of grandfather, which were manicured did not look like a farm person's hands. And he had a ring on one of his fingers. Yeah, it was not the kind of thing a farmer would wear. Manicured. Manicured. (laughs) We see like the shiny polish on the fingernails and everything. She's like, those are not laborers' hands. Right. And then he's got like a fancy ring on one of his fingers, like not something that a farm hand would wear. And then their dog is a house dog, not a farm dog. And so... (laughs) Then Sharon starts comparing details in the English book compared to the book that was translated into French. Names, dates, places. This is incredible. Like, this is amazing. So in the American book, Misha's name was Monique DeWall. So that's the adopted name. That's like what the mean Catholic family changed it to Monique DeWall. In the French book, it's Monique Valle. So V-A-L-L-E, right? Yeah. And so let me ask you something, though, before we go any further. Isn't all of this an editor's job or the publisher's job? Like, Jane and Team Jane did zero research into this story. Let me tell you, like, you want to talk about the Oprah Book Club scandal of it all? Yes. This is the whole thing, like, with James Fry. There was a time right around this time. Like, this was when A Million Little Pieces of James Fry book came out. And it was, like, the biggest best-selling memoir of all time. And then, like, 80% of it was made up. Like, I think in, with the eyes 
of like 2021, you can't imagine that something like this would be yes. overlooked. But at the time, this shit was par for the course. It happened all the time. But wouldn't you want to ask her a single question instead of just getting the book on the shelves as fast as possible? That's no, kind of no, what it, in, no? in fact, it's the opposite. It gets to a point where everybody knows that this story is fake, but everyone's just trying to make money. So it's like, shit. if some editor caught this and was like, oh shit, this is a big deal. Let's just do it and hope nobody notices. Like that, that's the instinct, not the other way around. Everybody wins if this book keeps making money. Nobody wants to stop that process. It's the ultimate just ask for forgiveness and not asking for permission. Exactly. And so Sharon, the genealogist, is like, this shit is fishy. And then it cuts to Jane and Jane's like, if her story were true and I were doubting it, there's something particularly vicious to doubt somebody who's telling the truth about something awful that happened to them. And the callousness that it takes to say, I don't believe you, and the harm you can cause by doing that. That was in my mind. On the other hand, what was also in my mind is so many discrepancies. Jane's deciding, do I live my life as the ruthless bitch who exploited the Holocaust survivor? Or do I turn into the ruthless bitch who exploited the Holocaust survivor and now doesn't believe her original story? And now I'm a Holocaust denier. Like, which is, I mean, she can't win, honestly. Like, what? imagine, wait, like, that was Jane's life for, like, two years. Thinking, like, do I, how do I live, where do I, I mean. But it's also, it's such a fascinating story that, like, if you're the only one in the world who maybe knows the truth, you gotta get to the bottom of it, you know? Right. So Sharon has a connection to a Belgian genealogist. Her name is Evelyn. I'm obsessed with her. And the thing about Evelyn is that she's a genealogist, but she's also a Holocaust survivor. And now Evelyn, who we meet and is fucking amazing, we get her story. She was one of the hidden children. So, like, she was a Jewish kid who was, like, sent to a a Catholic school and became, like, a good little Catholic girl. She lived Misha's real story. The story that Misha tells, this actually happened to Evelyn. Lost her parents. It would be, like, not until she was 40 that she found out what happened to her parents. But, like, she's invested in this because she's like, well, if this is true, we should, like, find out and, like, yes, definitively say this terrible story that Misha said did happen. But if it's not true, we got to fucking expose this shit because, like, too many people have suffered for this woman to be profiting off a fake fucking story. Right. And there's nobody perfect to get to the bottom of this story than Eveline. She has everything. She actually lived it, except for the wolves. I'm sorry. The whole thing about the wolves, that's fake for everybody. (laughs) Eveline did not become friends with the wolves. I'm so sorry to say. But there's nobody better, right? So just a reminder. In the French book, it was Val or Vali, however you want to say it. V-A-L-L-E. That was her last name. In the American yeah. book, it was DeWall. So they head to the library. They're looking through the city directories. They're trying to find these names. I came at least three days searching for the DeWall and the Valves. The name Valve was not in the phone books. Val name didn't exist. DeWall, yes. So now you start to think the French book was distributed in Belgium. And if something about Misha's story is not true, it would be important for her not to put her real name in that French book. In Jane's mind, it's like, this is more proof that this story is probably bullshit because she's trying to, like, protect herself from being discovered in her hometown. And and at this point, they also want us to know that the book had been taken over by a French publisher and then they'd published it in 20 languages. So the French name is circulating more and more than Dewal, than the American name. And even more than that, it's like, it's a huge bestseller all over Europe. So Misha's making money hand over fish. She's also speaking to school children all over the French-speaking world. There's a fucking art exhibit where, like, some student 
Constance took Misha's story. They took the book and like illustrated scenes from her life. And there's all these beautiful scenes of her like sleeping in the woods with the wolves. <laughs> you poor thing. We should find a way to get it so you could go sleep in the in the woods with the wolves for a night. We should be able to do that. Or like a high wolf content dog. <laughs> Don't tell Mike. Mike thinks that I'm going to, like, that's how I go. I'm going to th- be like, no, they like me. And then I just get clawed by the wolf. Wolf's going to wolf, girl. I'm sorry. I totally get it. I respect them. I just pet them once. I just want that one little pet. That's it. Not going to hurt anybody. No, absolutely not. And so we get more of, like, Misha's claims from the book. And she, you know, in the book, she's claiming that her parents were arrested and deported together. And she didn't know their surname. She knew their first names were Reuven and Gersha, but she didn't know their last name. So Sharon has access to all the Nazi deportation records, which I think is so fucking amazing that that's like a thing that researchers can look through. Yeah, so Sh- she- Sharon's like, oh, we can figure this shit out right now. I have those fucking <laughs> records. Let's go. She's like, you and think so I'm not going to spend seven days straight looking for I names? Know. I've done it before. I will do it again. In the book, Misha says that her parents were arrested together by the Nazis and deported. Although she didn't know their surname, their first names were Reuven and Garusha. So the next step was Sharon said, when I have access to the Nazi records of deportations, well, I will take those two names and see if they're two people who were deported more or less simultaneously with those names. When we examined the deportation list, they were not found as a husband and and wife. I was on the edge of my seat. Every second was like a new revelation. So Sharon pulls out the records and she's looking for those two first names. There's no names like that found as husband and wife. So more evidence that like holes in your story, Mish, holes in your story. Mish. Mishi. (laughs) So now we're at the War Victims Archive in Brussels. You know those hidden children you were talking about? They have all the records of the hidden children, the name of their parents and the name of the rescuer, the person who took them in. Can I just say, there's like a really complicated system that the government worked up so that these kids could be reunited with their families in the end, like after the war. We're not going to go through all of that now, but there are ways of finding out the names of these Jewish children that were hidden in other families. And there was also a real danger that the Nazis would find the records and track down and kill the kids. So Eveline is like, we did something kind of clever. There were four different booklets and to find the kid, you needed all four of them. And all four books were in different places. So if you found one... The Harry Potter of it all, you know what I mean? Seriously, it's like the fucking Da Vinci. Is that what the Da Vinci Code was? I never read it, but is that what that is? It's like you have to find... This is why I love it, because I fucking love this shit. And it's like the smarty pants who were like, we gotta be able to reunite these families after the war, but we gotta do it in a way where like if the fucking Nazis find it, they can't track these kids down now. It's incredible. So if you find one it's like nice job you nazi like you're not doing anything that gives you and it's not like oh you have three you're really close no all four are no dice is this a fucking nicholas cage movie what's going on here And so Misha's name isn't in any of these booklets and not her name, not the parents' name, not the rescuers. And Eveline's like, look, there is absolutely a chance that Misha was undocumented. Not every single kid is recorded. And that's important that like some of these kids did slip through the cracks. And what's important about this is that Evelyn is giving Misha the benefit of the doubt every time. She doesn't want Misha to be lying. You know, and nobody does. But it's like, okay, one thing you can excuse it away. But now all of these things are really starting to add up. And it's like the more Jane, the publisher, gets confirmation that Misha is lying, the guiltier Jane feels about it. So now the stakes go up. I start worrying. I will feel a lot of guilt if this is true, that I'm digging into her past 
And what if it is true? How unfair to challenge her. And even if it's mostly true, but not quite true, how unfair to uh, disrespect what she's been through. She always goes back to, but what if it's even a little bit true? Like, yeah. what if it's her trauma? Like, how dare I? Like, I can't even handle this. And Jane's like, stop the train. I want to get off. This is devouring me. I can't live like this. And I'm sorry, Jane. You were afraid people were going to find out and you'd be even more of a fucking asshole. A <laughs> like, little bit. Really yeah. I mean, that's very to. nice to say now in 2021. You totally. know what I mean? When the camera's in your face and the lights are there and you sign the contract. Like, yeah, it's very easy to say now. But Jane is also saying, like, I had no other option. Like, the judgment was hanging over my head. That $22 million. I had lost all of my appeals. I'm on the hook for this $22 million unless I can prove that this story didn't happen. So then they keep searching even more, right? Jane's like, we need more confirmation. We need more confirmation. They find out that there are no Jewish records to support Misha's story. And Jane realizes it's like a chandelier goes off above her head. And she's yeah. like, wait, is she not even Jewish? Like, could that exactly. be a thing here? Is that why nothing's adding up? Because she's actually not even Jewish? So now they're like, well, maybe she was Catholic. So they find her hometown. They go into the records. They find where Misha was born. And they're like, let's go to that town and find the churches and see if we can find... Like, this is... I love it so much. Because like, if she was Catholic, she was baptized, there'd be a record. So they're like taking a hard left turn. They're not going to look in the Jewish records. Now they're looking for the baptism records. So they go to Catholic church number one. Her name isn't there. They go to Catholic church number two. Name's not there. Catholic church number three they're like oh girl actually our church burned down and jane is like oh god if that's true and this is where she was baptized and all the records are gone we're never gonna find out they're like no but we did manage to save the records girl and here they are and so eveline goes there and it's chilling the way she says yeah. it and she goes and in that book i found her monica anestina josephine de Waal. daughter of Roberti Enrici Ernesti de Waal and Josefina Germaine Barbare Donville. And in that book, I found her. Look, look at my arms. I know, I know, I, I know, so I know. It's the third church she goes to. So Misha and the wolves, Misha. Her real name is Monica Ernestina Josephine de Waal. And she was Catholic. Like, she wasn't even Jewish, you guys. Monique de Waal is actually her real name. She exactly. said that that was the name that her rescuers gave her. Her name is actually Monique de Waal. Right, which is why she had to change her name in the French translation of the book because somebody might have recognized her name and been like, that girl who wasn't running for the Nazis, she was here the whole fucking time. Really think about that, listeners. If you haven't watched this or you don't know anything about that, story. She was not given to foster parents to hide from the Nazis. She wasn't in no. the woods. She was cozy at home getting baptized as Monique DeWall. But even then, Evelyn says like it still wasn't 100% proof because there were stories where authorities would take the name of a dead Catholic child and give it to a Jewish kid to hide them. So it still was possible that Misha was hidden in this DeWall family. So like her story was like not exactly right, but she was hidden in this DeWall family. So they say they needed further proof. She would have gone to school. I tried to find a school on the tram track uh, that she mentioned in her book. And as I walked by, I hit the school. The door was open. I walked in and uh, asked if they had any record of uh, someone with the name of Monique de Waal. And there on the register was her name. De Waal. Monique. 
she fucking finds her name in the school of records. So Monique DeWald did not die and then Misha was given that name. Like this kid has been here the whole time. This is Misha. Misha's story is a lie. And so Jane's like, that's the smoking gun. And remember, Misha is here. Like she's here for an interview. She's telling us her story to the camera. And as we're learning that this story that Misha, the book that Misha wrote was a lie, we are seeing this, like they're zooming out and we see that the house where Misha's giving her interview is a set. It's a set. And then we see the woman stand up and she goes to hair and makeup and they start to pull her wig off. This woman is an actress. This was like way <laughs> the second. It was, I blew my, I was screaming. This was, blew my fucking mind. At one point over this, like while they're taking the mask off and the makeup off and everything, like at one point, Jane goes, she wasn't anywhere near those wolves. <laughs> Sweet vindication like, for you and Jane. She's like, leave the wolves out of this niche. How very dare you? And you see her holding her script, like the yeah. script that she's going to. Yep. She's incredibly convincing. Because I everything it. that this actress said was stuff that Misha had actually said. Right, right. So she was just giving us Misha's actual. It was so genius because it, it makes you wonder the whole time. Like, if this story isn't real, what is Misha doing here? She's not here guys she's not here at all and then we're back to Evelyn, who's like i felt angry i felt disgusted i just saw the fake history the fake identity a way to get money out of the holocaust somebody stole a very painful part of my life i felt it for myself for my for all the hidden ch children and all the the dead children through the Holocaust. Someone's trying to get money out of the fucking Holocaust? Like, this is unconscionable? <laughs> she stole a very painful part of my life. Yeah. And Evelyn's like, I'm going to speak for all Jewish people here, actually. How dare she? And how dare all of us? <laughs> well, and that's the whole thing. And Jill, the editor, is like, you know, at the point that we got these records, the book was a huge bestseller all over Europe and a fucking movie had just come out. So Jane doesn't know the best way to get this information out to the world. So what does she do? She puts it on her fucking blog, finds somebody in Brussels and sends it to them. Next morning, it's all over over the newspapers it's all over the news like this hit movie and this like national bestseller book all of it's a lie and that's how Joni the wolf expert hears about it and she can't <laughs> handle it I think I felt like my blood just drained from my body you know how how can this possibly be I was angry I was sad I was hurt I felt betrayed I felt used she became that close a friend to me that when we had a litter of pups born, we named one Misha. It was just heartbreaking. They named their little wolf pup Misha because they thought I, that like there was I this know. really beautiful thing. Leave the wolves <laughs> out of it. But I'm like, Joni, that time that Misha howled like a wolf, they all howled back. It wasn't a magical moment, girl. Okay, she was just an old lady making a noise. Right. Okay? But Joni says, she says the magic word. We were duped just like the rest of you. Duped! I know. So Karen and Pat, the local friends with their Boston accents. Betrayed. Betrayed beyond belief. That fact that she lied about her being a Holocaust survivor made me cry. Misha DeFonseca played on sympathy. That's how she became a wonderful storyteller. Sympathy. That's how Misha DeFonseca was able to fool people. Sympathy. 
sympathy. She used sympathy. She prayed on sympathy. She just keeps saying sympathy. Like she just can't get over it. Because they're like asking for money from like the local townspeople. And like Karen or Pat, one of them is like, none of us ever talk to her ever again as far as I know. I mean, people were giving her tens of thousands of dollars because she was saying she didn't have any money. So now we meet the quote journalists and they say like there's yet another twist in the story. And we'll go through this kind of fast. In all fairness, her real story is tragic. Like, the journalist goes and tracks down Misha's actual aunt, and the aunt is here to spill all the tea. She's like, she's crazy. She's always been delusional. She, she <laughs> created imaginary worlds for herself. And I'm like, look, sometimes that's a fun escape, Aunt Emma. <laughs> but I'm not trying to lie about the fucking Holocaust. I kept thinking about the woman who wasn't there. I you know thought what I mean? this too, because <laughs> this is what they do. Like, no one's going to say no to a Holocaust survivor. No one's going right. to say no to someone who was there on 9-11 or lost a loved one in 9-11. If you have any any question at all, no matter how right your gut is, no matter yep. what documents you have, just ask Jane. Yep. She went through it in trial. If you say a word against anyone who dealt with like one of our many national tragedies or, or like worldwide tragedies, you are the asshole. Yeah. And like, you know, Misha's real story, I'm just going to give it to you in a nutshell. Essentially, she lived in Belgium. The Nazis invaded and took over. Her dad was like basically a freedom fighter. He joined the resistance. He recruited people and he just had a big mouth. He was yeah. really proud of the work that he was doing to fight the Nazis and he should have been, but he just couldn't keep quiet about it. So he gets arrested thrown into like a prison in France where he's fucking tortured. The agreement is he gets to see his wife and he gets to see his daughter one more time. And in exchange, he gives up the names of the other resistance fighters. He flips. He cooperates with the Nazis. You know what? I don't fucking blame this guy. So would fucking I. I'm sorry. It has to be said. Like, I'm not mad at him. Be mad at him for having a big mouth. But like when you have a kid and you have your finger in a vice grip and they're like, we're going to cut off all your fingers and we're going to kill you and you're never going to see your daughter again. Right. I would do anything. I could sob right now. I would do anything. The thing that I I think is is wrong too is that they put it all on Misha like Misha around town becomes known as the traitor's daughter like she didn't do anything and what happens is he only gets to see Misha one more time and then they send him and his wife off to the prison camps in Germany where they're both killed so right. like he like he gets killed anyway and so Misha becomes an outcast and she becomes the traitor's daughter and it's like what would anybody do? Anybody would do what he did. Yeah. And I just think it's so shitty that they're going to put it on the kid like that. Like the traitor's yeah. daughter. She did nothing. She was not involved in this. I, I don't like Misha. I'm just saying. So by February 2008, Misha's real story is published by Mark, the journalist. And yeah. hours later, Misha makes a statement. And her statement is like, caught you got me. I am the traitor's daughter. But she also says my father was suspected like Misha. He's not suspected. This is a fact. But she goes, you know what? It may not be actually reality, but it is my reality. And I, you know, I ask for forgiveness and I know it was bullshit. Then we get all of these people trying to give her the benefit of the doubt. And in comes Deb, the Holocaust historian, who is speaking <laughs> to my soul. Questioning someone's claim to be a Holocaust survivor is very difficult. One brings a great deal of diffidence to those claims. But the danger of believing everything puts history and the historical reality of genuine survivors at risk. 
Like it's easier yeah. said than done, Deb. Like that's a really great thing to say, but I'm not going to be the one to question anybody. The thing is though, Deb knows of what she speaks because she says Jane sent Deb before it was published. She In 1996 her, we're talking yeah, about. Two years before the book is published, sends Deb the historian a letter and the manuscript. And Deb says to us, I called Jane Daniel to explain why this narrative just did not work. I said to her, I would not publish this book. And I'm like, fuck, Deb, give it to us. Like, I was so annoyed that they didn't give us. I want the history. I want the timeline. I want to know what you told Jane. Right, And right, she's right. like, I never heard from Jane again. Next thing I knew, Jane published the book. And I always wondered why she did it. And I've got to say it's because she did it for profit. All along, I've been on Jane's side. Like, oh, she got tricked by Misha too. No, mm. this fucking Holocaust historian who Jane went to unsolicited told her this book is a lie and she published it anyway for the money. Everyone sucks. Right, but Evelyn is the one who says, you know, Misha is the victim and the villain in the story and is really uh-huh. still trying to like feel for her a little bit. And Deb comes back and she's like, no, <laughs> we have to stop doing this shit. Yes. And she goes, I think that we would like to believe that Misha Di Fonseca believed that she was a survivor of the Holocaust. I think we would like to believe that we were not so naive, that we believed it because she believed it. There is no redemptive purpose. We were so naive. It was all a fabrication. You know what Deb is screaming? Don't end on forgiveness. That's that's (laughs) where Deb stands. The thing about Deb is that she's like, don't be fooled. She knew what she was fucking doing. And she's talking right to my soul. (laughs) Right. But it's also like, Deb, easier said than done. If we're at some cocktail party and someone mentions their Holocaust story, who among us is going to be like, I don't know about that. Nobody. No one. So, you know, in the end, we get the on-screen text. The real Misha DeFonseca still lives in Massachusetts with her husband and animals. She Mm -hmm. chose not to be interviewed for the story. After the memoir was revealed as untrue, the financial judgment against Jane Daniel was partially overturned. Well, I want to know how much because it was $22 So, like, how much? (laughs) How partially overturned still means that she's on the hook for what? One, two, three mil? (laughs) Give me the numbers, baby. God, you guys, we did Misha and the Wolves. I loved this documentary so much. Run, do not walk. Go watch this documentary. We left out a lot because we had to, and there's so much more to know. I threw it in the mix. I thought I thought you would go either way on it, but I was like, I'm throwing Misha and the Wolves in for a nice little end of the year party. And you guys, if you want more Jillian and me, join us on the Patreon. Over 300 ad-free bonus episodes to download a binge right this second, including Night Soccer, Lula Rich, Tiger King, The Menendez Murders, Lacey Peterson, Jody Arias. The Jinx the vow making a murderer uh heaven's gate gacy yeah join the facebook group true crime obsessed podcast discussion group a super supportive community where you go to make your new friends talk about the episodes share your wedding pictures and i want to remind everybody this is a highly moderated group not in a bad way in a good way yes it's not one of those groups that goes off the rails because we don't let that happen because we got great mods and so it's just a fun safe supportive place to go make new friends two words host approval that's how (laughs) sasha's making sure it doesn't go off the rails girl what are we doing next Oh, we're doing Unraveled Stalker's Web. We're back with Billy and Alexis. Oh, yes. 
my William Elizabeth. William yeah. Elizabeth. Alexis, yeah. I remember before this came out, they were saying to both of us how crazy the story was. It's like this online stalker situation. It is. I have to tell you, it's not a true Billy and Alexis stock if they're not knock, knock, knocking on someone's door yeah. in the middle of the day. And I'm happy to report they do it again here. Yes. All right, you guys, stay tuned for the trailer for that. Our hilarious, ridiculous outtakes. And we love you. We love you so much. See you very soon. Very soon. Okay, bye-bye. Oh, ooh. <laughs> I like it. You're on to something here. He was sending me emails to make it clear that he knew where I lived, threatening to murder my family. My name is Alexis Linkletter. And I'm Billy Jensen. We've been treading on the heels of one of the most elusive and dangerous online predators either of us has ever seen. Jason Christopher Hughes possesses a degree of sophistication that most people can't understand. The only thing more surprising than the number of names this guy was using... Ray Schmuckle. Pink Marsupial. And Lewis. ...were the number of victims he had. He is one of the most dangerous people I've ever had to investigate. How has one man repeatedly tormented upwards of 50 victims over the course of two decades? decades and not face law enforcement. It just wasn't a crime to stalk somebody over the internet. We set out to unravel the mystery of this psychological terrorist and how he's been able to turn dozens of lives upside down. For decades, he wants to attack these people. I can't predict what he's going to do. Can we, can you just let her go? Can you, or maybe ask if she's okay, does she need help? Do the Nazis know where she is? Is she all right? If Steve and I were to die tomorrow, Daisy would die like four days later. There's just no way she's walking anywhere to get food and water. She has us delivered to her on the couch, Jillian. She's Evelyn not a genealogist. A she's not a genealogist. She's just a survivor. She is a genealogist and a survivor. Holy shit. I stand corrected. Yeah, not a good, not a great title. Well, they made Dancing with Wolves. <laughs> but I'm saying, like, Misha and the Wolves is a much better title, don't you think? Yeah, I don't know why they didn't call it, I don't know, whatever. But <laughs> I so. Know. <laughs> 